0: Welcome to Inside Economics. I'm Mark Sandy, the Chief Economist of Moody's Analytics, and I'm joined by my two colleagues and co-hosts, Chris Dorides. Chris is the Deputy Chief Economist, and Ryan Sweet. Ryan's the Director of Real-Time Economics. Hi, guys. How's everybody? Good. How are you, Mark? I, I'm tired, actually. Been, uh, I'm on a global world tour. Uh, week number one is in Europe, uh, and uh, that's now starting to wind down. And uh, I've got the Middle East coming up, and then Asia after that. So,
1: mm. um, Chris, did you notice this? Says, this is like the fourth consecutive podcast. He says he's tired.
0: Really? Is that is that true? Oh, it's at least God.
1: two or three, maybe four. I don't know. Oh,
0: well, there's no Wawa coffee in uh, Europe, so you know, that, that is definitely a problem. I mean, I'm i having these flat whites. Have you ever had a flat white? They're, oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah, yeah, they're good, but they're not wow.
2: They're not right. wow. Yeah, there's and, no hazelnut.
0: Yeah, uh, <laughs> there's no hazelnut and they're too small. You know, they give you something like this, you know, a few ounces. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe that's what it is. Maybe I'm just not getting my coffee. Uh, I think so. I think that's as far as you don't so pack dude, it. That's got to be it. That's my solution
2: to everything. So. That's,
0: yeah, it's got to be it. Uh, anyway, a lot going on over here in London. If you've uh, not noticed, we definitely should talk about that uh, and we'll come back to it. Uh, Of course, a lot's going on in the US as well. We had this devastating hurricane, Ian, which, by the way, came pretty close to my home in uh, Vero. Um, All is okay. A lot of uh, leaves and branches on the ground, but nothing uh, damaging. But it looks like it did a lot of damage. And I know, Ryan, you've done a lot of work trying to assess (laughs) the economic consequences of that. So let's talk about that. Uh, But before we go to those two things, why don't we chat about uh, we got a lot of lot of statistics this week, a lot of data. Um, so maybe just an open ended question to you, Ryan. Uh, what of all that data do you want to talk about? What do you think is most interesting in terms of shedding light on what's going on in the economy and where we're headed?
1: I think we should start with GDP. So this GDP. was our third estimate of second quarter GDP, but it also included the annual benchmark revision. So anything between. 2017 and 2022 was subject to revision. Uh, so what I took away from the revisions is uh, the level of GDP is now 1% higher than it was previously thought. Uh, GDI, which we thought GDP is going to get revised towards GDI, was actually the opposite. GDI got revised uh, in GDI, GDI's the, gross domestic income. Yep. <laughs> and it's just two ways of measuring the economy. Uh, you know, GDP is the value of all goods and services we produce, and GDI just sums up the income part. So rents. Uh, profits, wages and salaries, things like that. Uh, and there was a, a sizable downward revision to GDI. So that difference between GDP and GDI shrank quite significantly. And um, uh, the other thing that I noticed was uh, inflation got revised up can, this can year. Can ask
0: on that, Ryan? Yep. So uh, GDP, since the pandemic got revised up a bit, you said about a percentage uh, point uh and gdi got revised down uh and so it now looks like the gap between the two the difference between two is back to historical norms that correct that's right gotten as wide as it had ever been in history the so-called statistical discrepancy mm-hmm. that's the difference between gdp and gdi but now that's that discrepancy is back to normal or
1: Yeah, exactly and this is what happened after the financial crisis so that statistical discrepancy got really wide. I, mean, I think if I remember correctly, it was at the time, the widest on record. And then after these subsequent revisions, it's wiped away. So that's not too surprising, but I, I was hoping GDP would get revised up more. We still have those two right. consecutive uh, uh, declines in GDP in the first half of this year. Uh, but GDI got revised lower and you know, looking at the components, it was profits, which the government always has a hard time measuring profits You know, in real time but also wage, uh, wages and salaries and uh, that you know the the the, gov- the BEA the Bureau of Economic Analysis there estimate of compensation wages and compensation was getting out of line with the data that we get from the Bureau of Labor Statistics it, so the so-called uh labor income proxy so they they were there's this gap that was dividing and now that gap is closed so uh you know I was disappointed that we didn't get a bigger re- upper revision of GDP I was hoping we'd wipe away at least one of those declines in in the first half of the year
0: well, I mean, the uh, I think the thinking is that the best measure of what's going on is the average of GDP and GDI. Mm-hmm. And I do you guys know if you take the average? My
1: stat, I'm gonna to have to change my stat.
0: Oh, sorry about that. Oh,
1: it's all right. I yeah. mean, so the average uh, is now got revised lower, and the average of GDP and GDI fell. 0.4% annualized in the first quarter and 0.3% annualized in the second quarter. So okay. before both the average had risen, now they're showing a decline. Okay.
0: But, but it's still pretty flattish, right? 0.4, 0.3, you yeah. said annualized. so Correct. Okay. And, and you're still we're, not
2: declaring recession based on that,
0: right? No. Well, I, would you? I mean, no, no yeah.
2: But some I mean, would, right? There. Yeah. Again, going back to the old textbook. Uh, yeah. Rule of thumb,
0: but well, I'd also point out the revisions are only beginning, right? Because this mm-hmm. is yeah. Every year you get five <laughs> years of revision, so
1: right, and then we get the big benchmark one that occurs in a few years. So that that's going to be telling. So
0: I don't think the story's actually quite been written here yet. We'll see. Yeah. But even still, if, it's, if it even if it holds,
2: right? The yeah. Labor market, other indicators mm-hmm. don't confirm. Yeah, a recession in the first quarter at least,
0: that, that, and that's the most important thing. But you know, just for optics and a Pyrrhic victory, I, I still I'm not <laughs> conceding defeat here. I, I suspect that data will be revised, and at least one of those quarters will go positive. And you know, yeah. wow. you even by that benchmark, this would not be two quarters of consecutive declines. Would not be we would not see uh, sure. that. But of course, I got to wait a long time for that to happen, <laughs> at least another year or so. But, okay. And then you you mentioned inflation. There was also some mm-hmm. revisions. The, the Bureau of Economic Analysis, when they released the GDP revisions, also released revisions mm-hmm. to their price measures. And so there were some revisions there as well?
1: There was. So the core PC deflator, which is the Fed's preferred measure of inflation, in the second quarter got revised up from 4.3% annualized to, or 4.4% annualized to 4.7% annualized. Seems like a small upper revision, but that you know that's going in the wrong direction, and just you know supports the Fed's very hawkish tone. Uh, it may require a little bit more hiking than what we previously thought. Right. Okay. So if you run through our macro model, it takes roughly another 50 basis points in rate hikes to reduce inflation by you know that that 30 basis point revision that we got.
0: Really? That, mm-hmm. That's what our model says. It takes a half point more on half the interest rate target to reduce mm-hmm. inflation by three tenths of a percent. Correct. Core, I guess, core underlying inflation. Core
1: underlying inflation. Hmm,
0: interesting. Okay. Uh, and do we know what's the base? What? Why fundamentally was behind the revisions? Anything in any particular aspect of inflation uh, that caused the
1: revisions? That's a great question. Uh, the the BEA changed their source data for one of the inputs into the PC deflator. From uh, they were using the PPI for used and new vehicles, and they switched uh-huh. it over to the CPI. And we all know that. Oh. The CPI for new vehicles group gangbusters. Uh, so, that I think that my gut is that's a big mm. source of it. I see. Interesting.
0: Okay. That's, you know, because vehicle prices have gone skyward here. So, mm-hmm. that alone would make a big difference, I would think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's why with all these annual revisions, you got to read through all the, I mean, we can get in the weeds. So, you get to read through these technical notes and they tell you like what changes they made and methodology changes. And that's why, you know, this over the weekend and next week, I got to change our high frequency GDP model. To kind of reflect these changes in the source data, so to make sure that we we get it right, right. Okay.
0: And and right now in Q3, based on your tracking estimate,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: what where are we uh, positive? This takes all the different monthly data, weekly data that comes in, and you have a we have a model that takes that and translates that into what it means for GDP growth in the current quarter Q3. Mm-hmm. And what, where is that right now?
1: A positive one percent annualized. So this okay. time last week we we're at zero point eight percent annualized. Now we're up to one percent, and the reason that we got nudged up was uh, durable goods orders. So uh, uh, they came you know, stronger than you know we anticipated, and the model anticipated, and that kind of nudged up uh, business investment in the third quarter. Okay.
0: Okay. So and it feels like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like business investment not in not in not in structures, not in buildings, but in equipment and software, intellectual property, that seems to be holding up pretty well.
1: Yeah, it has. Is
0: that, is that yeah. fair
1: to say? Yeah, I think yeah. it's a fair assessment. Okay. I mean, there's some okay. signs of weakening ahead, like the ISM new orders that kind of leads core capital goods shipments. Uh, and, and that's showing signs of softening you know, over the next few months, but nothing that you know would raise alarm bells.
0: Yeah. Okay. Hey, Chris. Uh, the these revisions to the BEA did to GDP and to GDI and to to the inflation statistics. How does that does that influence your thinking about where the economy is and where it's headed? Or pretty consistent with your thinking? Uh, fair, I would say fairly
2: consistent. But um, again, as Ryan alluded to, our hope was that GDP was going to go towards GDI upward uh, versus the opposite. So it it does suggest that the economy certainly is weaker than we might have otherwise uh, had hoped for. Uh, But I don't know that it significantly changes the picture. I think we already accepted that it was weakening, uh, whether or not it was recession. Um, So I, I don't know that this really changes things in terms of the outlook or even in terms of the Fed's policy, right? So there's still more script to be written. In terms of the inflation measures as well so i think they need they'll take those with a grain of salt yeah okay okay uh,
0: any other i mean i don't want to i want to play the game the statistics game so i don't want to yeah. steal too many statistics here but any other because there's seems like there was a raft of data that came out this week any other uh of those data you want to call out I, I did notice uh ui claims unemployment insurance claims uh, initial unemployment insurance claims kind of a window into layoffs they fell to below two hundred thousand in in the week last week, and of course, anything anything between south of two hundred fifty would be a pretty strong job market. South of mm-hmm. two hundred feels like rip roaring. Is there something weird going on with that data? That you, there might be some technical, well, maybe the hurricane affected that. The
1: hurricane sure. hit Puerto Rico, and Puerto oh, okay. Rico they uh, they're not captured in monthly employment or GDP, but they are captured in UI claims, so unemployment insurance benefits. And when you get a hurricane, normally that depresses initial claims for a week or two, because when you lose power, people can't file, and also they can't be processed for UI benefits. So usually hurricanes depress it for one, two weeks, and then you get this big spike as this backlog of uh, people filing gets worked through. So we're likely going to see claims remain low next week. They'll be higher than 193, but then uh, the hurricane Ian's effect on Florida, that's going to show up uh, in a couple of weeks okay
0: all right well maybe that's where we should go now let's just go to the hurricane uh you know obviously mm-hmm. that that's doing a, that's done a lot of damage to the state of Florida. yeah you know, here we are september 30th 2022 so that it hit Florida yesterday uh and uh done a lot of damage now it's in south carolina i believe or headed in that direction
1: i think it's headed in that direction yeah yeah you yeah, headed in that direction um
0: <clears throat> what kind of um can, what kind of assessment do you have of that because we, every we do this uh work to assess the, uh, economic loss related to natural disasters like hurricanes when they're mm-hmm. meaningful. This is clearly meaningful, both in terms of the business disruption, how much lost economic activity due to businesses closing and other activities shutting down. And then also the physical damage. Do you have any ass- assessment of the uh, economic consequences at this point?
1: Yes, yeah, So what we did, we look at daily output in the counties yeah. that were most significantly affected by the hurricane. And, um, by our calculations is going to be roughly 7 to 10 billion in lost economic output now a lot of money is going to flow into the region so that the number sounds small but federal aid insurance money is going to flow in and then you're going to get a lot of rebuilding so that kind of offsets some of the loss the net loss in economic output but 10 billion is still a lot uh damage i think it's i think we're estimating 50 to 60 billion so this is going to be one of the costliest hurricanes uh, on record
0: so uh, as much as 10 billion dollars in lost economic output because mm-hmm. of lost because electricity businesses exactly. shut down can't operate uh, you're going to have
1: businesses have that close you're going to have uh, the big hit is because of uh, lost power and i think last time i saw yeah. it's like over a million people still don't have power and that's you know that's going to disrupt businesses and it, the hurricane occurred during the work week and that's when daily economic output is higher usually during the weekends mm-hmm. it's lower uh, and that's going to that kind of boosted the 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 hit to those regional economies.
0: I see, and then and then of course insurance money comes in, mm-hmm. uh, yep. and then some government aid will likely come in for sure, and so that that would lift economic activity. Uh, so we'll get some of that lost economic, ac- and then of course some of the activity that didn't get done will get done. Some exactly, will never get up. done. Like airplanes won't fly two times as two twice twice as many flights, but. Uh, we'll get, but we're right, talking about restaurants. Tonight. Like people aren't yeah. going to go out and eat yeah. you know, two or three
1: times because they couldn't during a hurricane.
0: Um, or Disney
1: World, right? Yeah, oh, Disney there, World Disney World World. yeah, that got affected. Yeah.
0: And of course, this is a script still being written. Yeah. Uh, Correct. Right. Because it has, we'll have to see how, what it does, how much damage it does to the Carolinas and the rest of the Eastern seaboard, I guess, at some point.
1: Yeah. And the other how thing that always this? comes up with hurricanes is the window, uh, the broken window fallacy. You know, Does hurricanes really actually net boost the economy? And there's a a big difference between economic activity and economic welfare. So, you know, these people people that are affected by the hurricane aren't better off, but you're going to see a lot of economic activities rebuilding and the money you mentioned flows into them.
0: You know, one thing I've noticed, uh, because we're doing a lot of work in this area around uh, the climate risk, and obviously these kind of natural disasters are are part of uh, the climate risk that uh, we're facing is that in recent decades, I'd say the last three, four decades, the if you toed up the uh, lost economic output and the physical damage, and then you look at the insurance money, private insurance money, and the government aid that comes in, it's almost one for one. It's almost like the government uh, fills the hole in the economy left by private insurance. So you know, you go to Katrina, that that less insurance, more. Uh, Government money. You go to uh, Superstorm Sandy. It was kind of flipped. There's more private insurance, less government aid, Uh, and uh, it's kind of a a regularity in in the response, you know, to which I find fascinating. And it does feel like, uh, you know, obviously you take this big hit, and then you get this money flowing in and economic activity. And at the end of all of that, you're saying we still don't quite get back the economy doesn't quite get back. The the capital stock, the physical stock, doesn't quite get back to where it was before the pandemic, uh, before the, uh, her, um, the natural disaster occurred. Correct. Yeah, interesting. Uh, what about any damage to uh, 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 oil, natural gas, refining operations, anything like
1: that? This was Florida, so probably. Yeah, yeah it dodged all the, the main energy infrastructure in the Gulf, you know, by louisiana and all that none of that was affected so yeah
0: that's the one nightmare i have that a, mm-hmm. you know a hurricane's going to blow through the gulf shut down all those platforms hit the coast wipe out a refinery for a few weeks and then got gas prices going back up to five dollars a gallon and
1: given where we are that would be pretty debilitating economically that's, that's why hurricane katrina was such a larger impact on the Macro yeah. economy, the US economy. So this one's going to be small. It's going to save a few tenths of a percentage point off GDP, but Hurricane Katrina did a lot more damage because gasoline prices spiked.
0: Oh, that's interesting. So you think the Q4 GDP will be, uh, we'll see a bit of a hit there? Because mm-hmm. it's coming at the very end of Q3. So Yeah, I don't think will, it'll show up there. Will it show up in Q3? Should, I guess, right? It or, should. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And then we, we get, right. I don't know.
2: Yeah. We'll see how and you get the to... uh, you do get the insurance money, perhaps flowing. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's some hit, but you'll get some benefit. I don't Correct.
0: Know. Do you know uh, Ryan or Chris? Uh, if you line up the economic loss and the physical damage and compare Ian to other storms, where it lines up, you know, is it a big one or is it kind of in the middle? Do, we, do uh, we, put on,
1: we? put it. on the website yesterday. I can pull. Yeah, I,
0: I, Laura
2: Ratz did a nice article. On this, and uh, based on that table, the table that she produced, it looked like it was number seven. Mm-hmm. All right, so Katrina, Harvey, Maria—they're ah. much worse. And then, so kind so of in the is middle, it, if you will. Today's dollars, Chris, in, or... uh, yeah, in um, okay. inflation-adjusted dollars,
0: right? Okay, so that's pretty meaningful then. It's significant, mm-hmm.
2: yeah, 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 definitely. And This is an in- initial estimate. To your point, it's not over yet,
1: we're not, you know. Yeah, right. Something yeah, could I mean, it's the Carolinas, we're gonna have, we're gonna add that into it. That's a, that could be significant. So.
0: Yeah. And of course it, it comes up the East coast and flooding and all kinds of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. even here, you know, when we're in Philadelphia, we get, we got, we got nailed by a big storm last year. I can't remember the name of it. Do you remember? There did a lot of flooding. Right? Ida. do yeah. That did a, a lot of damage. I can remember um, Schuylkill expressway was underwater, you know, in the city, you know, the vine street, you know, where I, I you know, mm-hmm. goes over on down Vine Street. It was just completely you know, a lake, uh, did so, did a lot of damage. Um, and that was like
1: the the remnants of a storm. I can't imagine, I yeah, yeah, landfall, like Direct what hit that, would be, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay,
0: all right. Um, okay, let's uh, play the game, the statistics game. Right. And, um, as you all know, but I'll just repeat it for those that don't. And by the way, I'm a bit of a podcast proselytizer I, I don't know if you guys are as well so every event i speak at you know every you know podcast i do for someone else uh webinar i say you've got to listen to this podcast and there's always someone in the audience that huge fan like I, here yeah. in london we had a, a, a an event a conference and uh, we had a number of real big fans in the audience uh, actually people coming up and saying i love your podcast so uh but I proselytize. So there are people who join every week that don't know the statistics game. So we've got to clue them in. And it's very simple. We each put forward a statistic or two. Uh, the rest of the group tries to figure out what that is through clues and questions, deductive reasoning. The best statistic is one that uh, is not so easy that we all get it very quickly, one that's not so hard that we never get it. One night it would be bonus as if it's you know relevant to the topic at hand. Uh, and, um, uh, of course, Ryan is really good at this. Uh, I, I have to say I'm maybe better. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's got to keep score. We don't keep score. We haven't kept score for all year. Someone's got to go back and look at the annals here, the historical annals. got to do that. We have to bring back the dollar bets, too. That's
2: not.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> All I know is I'm going to win the dollar bet on uh, long term interest rates. You guys, really, what we have to go. Well, back it took and,
1: bad policy uh, to get yeah. to your interest rate yeah. forecast. Uh,
0: okay. Uh, who wants to go first? Uh, Chris, you go first. I'll go. Sure. Negative 0.6%. Isn't that GDP in, uh, in the second real quarter? GDP <laughs> decline minus 0.6% in Q2? That, no. <laughs> that's no, not wait. the one i'm that's not the but one that, i'm thinking of <laughs> but that's that is the right n- minus
2: Yes, 0.6? that's the
1: correct number there, there could be a lot of minus that was 0.6. my uh, that's my tricky dodge yeah oh okay so there <laughs> that is in the gdp 96? report
2: there were a lot of point threes in this uh week as well just I to know i know mix it up but this is not um uh,
1: this is not related to gdp okay All
0: right. is it a statistic that came out this week Oh, I
1: know what it is. It's house prices. They fell 6.6% month over month. Oh, where's my bell?
0: Oh, very good.
1: Sorry, right, Mark, you're jet which, lagged.
0: Although, let's add let, uh, to be, we got to make sure he knows oh, what he's <laughs> really talking about. Which index? Because there's a cup two indices yeah, that came two. out this week, I'm not mistaken.
2: Ooh. The point <laughs> six, the other one was not. T. Schiller, sure, right? <laughs>
0: Oh, no.
2: FHFA purchase ah, only blemish.
0: monthly. So that is definitely a blemish,
1: right? If it's a blemish, okay. it's fine. <laughs> How do I take back the cowbell? Yeah, no, you can't take it back.
0: <laughs> so, so that was the FHFA house price series. The monthly house price series fell minus 0. 0.6 in the month of July, I believe, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah,
2: And that is significant that's a large decline. You have to go back to 2007 start of the housing crisis to get that type of a monthly decline. I
0: mean, that's, I mean, that's pretty significant. And they do. uh, Did you look at it regionally? Did you have it?
2: I did. Okay. So, um, all right. So bonus question, which is um, there was only one region that uh, actually showed any growth. East or or central. Oh, wow. You really.
0: Ryan.
1: That's impressive that's that impressive. impressive that's impressive okay
0: now here here's here's the bonus am I this is the number you guys, which states are in the east north Central region? Do you guys know? Oh oh, oh my gosh <laughs> he, oh come on
1: East north Central to be honest, I didn't even know that was a region like, oh,
0: <laughs> oh. oh well I think I think I got this right. Someone's gonna correct me if I'm I've got it wrong, but that includes Michigan. Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, and Wisconsin. Am I right?
1: I'm looking up. Uh,
0: yeah.
2: Illinois, Indiana, Michigan.
1: Yep, yeah, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. You yep. mentioned Wisconsin. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Wisconsin. That's impressive.
0: Okay. All right. Now, how about you want to know the capitals of each of those states? No. Oh, <laughs> I want to know all the metropolitan areas. In the well, Mark
1: probably knows the metro's.
0: Uh, yeah. Well, those are those. I know that stuff because back in the day that, you know, we really focused on a lot of regional issues, East, North, Central bread okay, and butter.
2: Go ahead. Go ahead. Go uh, ahead. Well, let's keep going that which uh, which of the um, which of the uh, divisions actually experienced the fastest growth over the last year.
0: Over the last year.
2: Yeah.
0: Ooh, that's interesting. Is it the mountain region?
2: Nope. I would South have thought Atlantic. so too. South South Atlantic. South Atlantic. Very good. Ah, Very good.
0: South Atlantic. And the uh, weakest? Northeast. Over the past year. Yep. Oh, over the past year, I would have to say think of a big state. The the, the no. mid-Atlantic? No. North New England. No. Oh, is it weakest California? Growth of Pacific. Yeah. Oh, oh huh? really? Already on a year over year because I on know. You. It's experiencing pretty big declines now. The biggest, I think, it is now, and then over the last year as well. Oh, is that right? It's come down that much. It only wow. grew.
2: It only grew ten percent over the last year. Can
0: I ask you a question about that? Yeah, uh, I because I uh, in my stylized fact, and I'm not tell me if I got the fact right. And then what's going on? The most significant price decline so far uh, have been in California, really bay area la san diego gotten creamed And the uh, strongest market big market not small market big market has really been florida florida's held up much better like i think in that data miami still seeing price gains uh, gains yeah this is an example how do you explain that what do you think is going on there uh that that regional difference you know I, I don't expect that to continue forever i think florida prices are going to go down uh, but but uh, why why that difference? Do you think? So a couple. So the
2: tech industry, right? Certainly facing some layoffs and ah um, okay yeah right some weakness there. Yeah. And if we think about the Bay, California is also always expensive. Right. So it's yeah you're starting from a very uh, expensive proposition. So any weakness can kind of multiply. So that would be my working hypothesis.
0: Or, or many, uh, I guess the way I would, that's a good reason. I would have thought it, my intuition was same, same thing, but it would be affordability. The price yeah, is yeah. high. That's and, right. And the mortgage rate rises and the mortgage payment becomes prohibitive in
2: that, place. Exactly. That's money. what I meant. Yeah. The, oh, that's what you meant. That okay. they feel because it's already unaffordable, so unaffordable, right? Any little uh, additional, um, uh, any additional cost is going to drive out uh, demand significantly.
0: Right. right, and then Florida. What do you think is going on there? Why is that held up better?
2: So, so Florida. Far- int- so Florida's interesting because you had a lot of um, migration into Florida. Uh, Naples, actually by by our metro, um, by our house price index, Naples, Florida was the fastest growing metro over the past two years. Right, so lots of increase there, but it's not at the top of our list in terms of overvaluation risk because you also had a lot of wealth, a lot of higher income individuals uh, moving there. So I, I think that provides some um, ballast uh, to those markets, right? So people aren't perhaps forced to sell or don't need to sell. Um, yeah, that, makes that sense. That provides some.
1: Yeah.
0: Now, have you noticed mortgage rates? I mean-
1: Yeah, they've come down a little bit.
0: Down to what? Like six and a half or? No, 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 no,
1: not that much. They're below because seven.
0: Christmas is probably dozen. exactly what they are. Yeah, I mean, they're high. I mean, that's higher high. than definitely higher than we expected. And it, it you know, partly goes to the higher treasury yields, You know, interest mm-hmm. rates across the border. Yeah. But the but spread. The, biggest, the spread, yeah. That's uh, been
2: persistently
0: high. Right? That's, that's the mortgage rate. The difference between the mortgage rate and the 10-year yield, which captures lots of stuff like Prepayment risk, credit risk, the cost of origination, the cost of servicing—you know—all those things are in there. But typically, the difference between a thirty-year fixed and a ten-year treasury yield is like hundred and fifty basis points, right? One eighty-five yeah. percentage points, yeah. and now it's double that. It's just yeah. double that. Do you have a? And that—that's a real problem. I mean, if it was, it, you know, if it was a normal spread, the thirty-year fixed would be going for. Five and a half, not seven. Okay. Yeah. Right? And that would be much more manageable. And that's more consistent with what our forecast was. We didn't expect this gapping out of the mortgage spread and thus the mortgage rate. So, what do, what do, you, right. what do you suppose is going on there? Why is that spread so wide? I
2: guess it comes down, in, in essence, to
0: back always to supply and demand
2: on the MBS side. So, some lack of liquidity, or you have investors worried about uh, prepayment risk, putting in some additional premium. Um, The yield curve does strange things to (laughs) expectations of how uh, borrowers are going to perform in the future
0: one bond trader i talked to i think he's right was pointing out that you have extraordinary interest rate volatility yeah Mm -hmm. rates are jumping all over the place and when that happens the uh option the prepayment option is Mm. is the value of that is a lot higher because Right. You, you so uh, that the the compensation investors need to taking that risk is, is higher. And you know, that gets built into the into the spread. Uh and uh that that goes to what's going on, on over here in London and the UK, which we'll come back to, but but also Fed policy, as long as the Fed's on the warpath and people don't really know when that's going to come to an end and at what rate is uh, they're gonna stop and what it all means. You could get this significant up and back and uh, all, all around on rates. And that's creating this uh, higher prepayment risk and and the, this adding to the mortgage rate. Does that sound right to you? Yeah. The other point yeah. is,
2: that you've just made is the Fed, of course, right? <laughs> that they yeah. are no longer a buyer of uh, MBS security. So you, yeah, good point. you're a pretty significant buyer. And although they, it's unlikely that they will sell that portfolio, Like, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility as well. So there could be really? some additional supply that comes online um that could take on the prices too
0: well hopefully that spread normalizes at some point because if it doesn't we're gonna have to change our forecast on housing too if it stays around six and a half seven percent that means
2: for
0: demand is going to be worse sales Mm -hmm. are going to be lower and house price declines which we're expecting are going to be more severe so that's right yeah and this decline
2: i tell you to your point 0.6% was in July, right? So we're still looking here. It's not even fully capturing.
0: What was the mortgage rate in July? It was like five, five and a half percent.
1: Yeah, I think six maybe. Uh, Mm -hmm.
0: Did it get that high? Okay.
1: At the highest, I think. Pending home sales are tanking and pending home sales lead existing homes by one to two months and pending home sales are down 24% year over year.
0: Did we get another data point on that this week? I missed it.
1: Yeah. That's data for August. So okay, now we're looking okay. at sales in September and October for existing, and it doesn't look good. Oh boy! I don't okay. think it
2: was much worse than July. If that,
1: no, no, but you I gonna mean, be solace? It's, yes, yeah, it's just consistently Not that it's
2: dropping, plummeting. But
1: it, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's very okay. low. No, and traffic, all, right. all, the, all the metrics are are down. Yep. What about you, Ryan? What's your statistic of the week? How about you go? Because mine's going to lead into the last thing we got to talk about. Oh, okay, fine. Is... Uh,
0: you, and we're talking about oh, London, UK, the British. UK what's going on here?
1: yeah Big hint chaos uh,
0: um three point five percent three point five percent is this a long term interest rate It is not ah. Oh. it's a statistic that was released this week. It's an important statistic first to the u s yes indeed. <laughs> It refers uh-huh. to the American household. Oh, the savings rate. The oh, savings rate. Yes. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Personal saving rate, three point five percent. Yeah, way to go, Ryan. Um, that was the sa- that was the uh, the saving rate uh, in the month of August, three point mm-hmm. five, and uh, that is pretty low by the standards of recent history. Uh, you know, go back pre pandemic. Uh, the saving rate was north of seven percent. In fact, that got revised higher. Uh, it the did. saving rate got revised substantially higher coming into the pandemic, but it was well over seven uh, percent. And so now it's half of what it was. And we calculate what this, uh, what we call uh, excess saving, extra saving that's the, uh, the savings that household did above which they would have typically done during the uh. Uh, if, if, during the pandemic, if not for the pandemic. So uh, that goes to sh- household sheltering in place, not spending, but generally high-income households, and also government support that went to a lot of middle and lower-income households. And that excess saving built dramatically during the pandemic. In fact, it peaked it, by our calculation in December of 2021, so at the end of last year, at 2.7 right. trillion dollars, so that's over 10% of GDP. It's been coming down ever since because the saving rate's been below that 7% threshold that was established before the pandemic. It's down 400 billion dollars, and we're now sitting at 2.2 trillion. Still a lot of excess extra savings, uh, but uh, it's coming in pretty quickly. And uh, one other thing we've we've been learning, looking at other data from the Federal Reserve, is that uh, households in the bottom part of the income distribution the bottom quintile the bottom 20% of the income distribution actually blown through their excess savings or appears to uh, that they've blown through and they have fewer uh, they have less cash in the in their checking accounts and and uh, deposit accounts than they did prior to the start of the pandemic so uh, you know this this hit to the economy from higher inflation higher oil gasoline prices food prices rent uh, uh consumers are have cushioned the blow by allowing their savings to come down and you know draw down the excess saving they have in their bank accounts also they've started to borrow a bit more particularly again those lower income households that are most uh stressed and have blown through their savings more quickly they seem to be using their credit cards and taking on personal loans you know more aggressively to help supplement their income so uh this has been a uh, you know, pretty significant cushion to the to the economy uh, you know, during this period. But still, I, you know, um, a reason to be. It, it depends on how your your prism here, but you know, it it's a reason for optimism, right? Because it means that consumers have a lot of firepower there that they can use, a cushion that they can call upon if they need to to supplement. Uh, their incomes to keep on spending, uh, and hopefully that keeps the economy out of recession. But the other way of looking at it is, well, it it doesn't if it keeps consumers from not becoming more cautious in their spending, and the economy doesn't slow sufficiently, then the Fed's going to have to because of the high inflation step on the brakes even harder. So now those two interpretations, which do you think is, or maybe there's another one uh, interpretation. Which one do you think is is most relevant, Chris? Do you have a do you have a perspective? I, I go, as you can tell, I go for the optimist, optimistic perspective that this is a cushion, but <clears throat> here's how you view it. It is a cushion.
2: I, I agree with, but again, to your point, the demographics are quite different, mm-hmm. uh, right? In terms of the impact. So.
0: Yeah, but most I, of the spending is done by folks in the top part of the distribution, right? Mm-hmm. So n- not to, there's a yeah. lot of, yeah in terms so of the it, macro consequences so in terms of
2: the in terms of the macro consequences yes it's a benefit yeah. but have to stress that the uh, there are certainly households that are already suffering uh, in this environment right and that that cushion yeah. is no longer oh, yeah. there or even if the cushion exists it's it's certainly right. uh, diminishing yeah
0: okay what what about the other interpretation that it, it it's too much of a cushion it, it's it's uh, not uh, uh, it's, it's not allowing consumers to pull back enough to allow the economy to moderate sufficiently to bring in the wage and price pressures. I don't see a lot of evidence
2: that consumers are going crazy. Yeah, even at the high end, right where there yeah. is a lot of access savings. So it, I don't know that uh, it's really influencing the behavior to that degree.
0: Right. Which is pretty amazing when you think about it, because it's actually cash, you know, sitting in their checking account. Like when they go pull money, go use their debit card, they can see how much cash is sitting there. I mean, it's like literally right there they can spend it. But the, the consumers have not been doing that. They've been they've been drawing it down, but pretty judiciously, and it basically just supplementing their real yeah. income, uh, mm-hmm. not doing any more than that. They're not spending with any kind of abandon. It, it doesn't appear to be. So I think crazy. they're seeing it as wealth and some yeah. of that cash is just waiting
2: to be redeployed. The yep. market's stabilized. So I, yeah. I don't think the consumers view it as, um, as a uh,
0: available it's it's spending. Cash cash. They, they should, don't view it as cash. They view it as, that they should, okay, uh, that they I just don't want to invest the in the stock market right now. Yeah, yeah. I don't know
2: what to do. I don't know. What to do. <laughs> I don't see any good investments out there. I'm worried about everything. So I'm just going to park yeah. it in cash and, and wait.
0: So, uh-huh.
1: yeah. Okay. Uh, Ryan, what's your statistic? All right. It's going to be a little, it's, you already Sorry. got a big clue. It's something related to the UK. Oh, 130, okay. Okay. 130. Basis. Hundreds. Pardon me? Basis, basis, points. Points. 130 basis oh, yeah. points.
0: 130 basis points. 130 mm-hmm. basis points. Is that the increase in the 10 year guilt?
1: Over what period of time?
0: Last week. <laughs> Since they announced the budget the, or the new. Fiscal plan
1: over the last month. That's good, Mark. Locked. That's that's impressive. That's good. All right, that oh,
0: good. I bet it really. Most of it's last, been over the last
1: few days. It's, I'm sure it's over the last you know, few. I'm, I'm guessing you know, the actual but, increase over the last month is 130 basis points. Oh, rates, oh it is, Most of days. that has occurred over the last you know couple the last of few days. Yeah.
0: yeah. No cowbell. What's that all about? All right, all right. <laughs> oh <No, most days. laughs> uh, uh, well, that's a good one. Yeah. And what is the? Do you know? What the 10-year gilt is today?
1: 4.08%.
0: 4.08, okay. Yeah. And so I do From know... perspective, over the,
1: over the last month, the 10-year treasury yield is up 54 basis points.
0: Is that right? The 10-year the mm-hmm. is up 54 basis
1: points. Now 53. It's
0: getting a 3.67 or
1: something like that.
0: 3.73. 3.73, mm-hmm. okay. And it had gotten as high as four, and the 10-year gilt, that's the- equivalent of the 10-year bond issued by the British government to finance their their budget, their their government. I think it got to 4.8 uh, when I was here. Yeah.
1: Before you know, the, the Bank of England funds. made their U-turn.
0: Right. When the Bank of England decided that they're going to start, they stopped no QT. I'm not selling bonds, which they had announced. And now they're going to be buying bonds, QE. Mm-hmm. Buying they bonds. panicked. It, well, it, it well, they felt to, like they need, they need to do something, right? Because uh it was starting to disrupt the i think the pension system here because mm-hmm. you had a lot of pension uh, uh f- of funds that had bought into this uh scheme that would help them manage their interest rate risk and it kind of got flipped upside down and it, then they started getting margin calls and had to put more money in it and so they were worried about the pension the pension fund system here so mm-hmm. they felt like they had to do something um it, Let me ask you this. Let me let me describe what you know is going on here, so people have context. And I'm really curious what you guys think about all of this. Um, So, uh, what's there's turmoil here in the UK. As of today, it's winding down. It's a Friday afternoon. It you know, markets are calmer because of the Bank of England's decision to come buy uh, to QE to buy bonds. But it's been a tumultuous week, and it was ignited when the new British government—they have a new prime minister, Liz Truss—is it Liz Truss? Truss, uh, it's Liz Truss mm-hmm. uh, announced uh, a, a a very large uh, fiscal package, uh, deficit financed, uh, as they would say here, unfunded. So uh, they—that means they are going to go out and borrow money, take that money, and uh, provide really large tax cuts uh not targeted right. large corporations uh, wealthy households uh and then also increase spending uh this is now to help with the energy bills so uh energy prices are up everywhere they're up a lot here more here in in europe because more closely tied to russia and the uh the idea is to cap how much uh, prices will rise uh, energy prices will rise and so that's a you know, spending government spending, uh, and again, that was untargeted. Uh, you know, everyone gets that, whether you're low income or high, high income, doesn't matter. And it's a lot of money, and it's a lot of juice. And this economy, you, you know, is uh, our economy to to the second to the to the, the second power. I mean, you think we have a tight labor market? They have an excruciatingly like, tight labor market. Their unemployment rates close to ours, but their full employment unemployment rates a lot higher than ours. Uh, Wage growth is very strong. Uh, You know, unions are stronger here, so wage the wage-price dynamics are a a bit more vexed here. Wages are feeding into prices, prices into wages, so inflationary pressures are developing. Uh, And um, so, investors, uh, global investors, seeing all that, balked and said, "What the heck are you doing? Uh, This makes no sense whatsoever." And by the way, count me in that camp. This is so off the rails. This policy at this point in time, uh, I, I I keep thinking I must be missing something. What am I missing? You know here, you know. Uh, but it turns out everyone agrees with me. <laughs> this is really bad, and so they've sold bonds, They sold, started selling the the, the bonds, the British bonds, because they said you're gonna, you know, are you gonna be able to pay me back in a timely way? Because you're gonna be borrowing so much money, uh, and and but on top of that. Uh, because you're going to juice up the economy in the near term, you're going to fan inflationary pressures, uh, you may uh, create this stagflation environment. Uh, and the only way out of that is by really jacking up interest rates. The Bank of England will have to jack up interest rates to wring that out. And that, that'll end very badly for everybody, including mm-hmm. the British, uh, because um, I mean, a very, very severe recession, not in the near term, everything's all juiced up in the near term you know uh, so no recession now but you look out a year from now a year and a half from now looks like it's going to be a complete mess um so uh the only thing that settled all this down uh you know and this this is important all over the world because it was reverberating all around the world affecting bond markets including our bond market and our interest rates was for the for the Q, for the bank of England to uh to do a U-turn instead of because they had announced, Quantitative tightening, along with the Fed and every other central bank, to try to slow the economy and quell inflation. And now they're queuing; they're buying bonds again, a lot of bonds. That's the only thing that. And I wonder how long that that calm lasts. You know, uh, you know, if uh, the the new government persists and continues down the road here and trying to implement this, this policy. So, what do you guys think of? Is my, is my your perspective on this similar to mine? That this is like off the rails, a kind of mm-hmm. about, is grecious a policy. Step that one could imagine.
1: I mean, if you recall from our stagflation podcast, we said one of the causes is bad policy, and this fiscal policy is bad policy. Yeah. And the Bank of England has to respond. They're they have a single mandate, and that's inflation. So any inflation that fiscal policy adds to the economy, the Bank of England has to offset that. So that means very, very aggressive rate hikes are coming. So this is the fiscal dominance. Mm-hmm. Argument,
2: right? That uh, you know, fiscal authorities can do what they want, and the the central bank just has to mop it up. <laughs> um, well,
0: the the uh, the issue though here might be that they they don't do a good job mopping up, or they don't mop up quickly, yeah, right, or they don't have the sufficient
2: resources to mop up.
0: Right. Right. I mean, the, in addition to her Liz Trust, the new prime minister's new policy, she also. Uh, came out in a in and in a, in a, said that she would uh, ah. want to review the Bank yeah. of England's framework for setting monetary
1: yeah. policy. Yeah, this is, this is not going to well. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and then when the Bank of England steps in and buys those bonds, and it, you know, I I can I hear them saying, "I need to do this to save the pension system and you know, yeah. market functioning and all that kind of stuff." But and it's limited hand,
2: and it's short
1: term, <laughs> right?
0: I mean, that doesn't that doesn't I, I guess we'll see how aggressive the Bank of England will now be in their efforts to mop up, to take away this growth that is going to be juiced up by the, the fiscal policy. But at this point, it feels like their credibility is under is questionable, right? I mean mm-hmm. and that that's another reason to be a bit nervous if you're an investor and concerned about stagflation. It's when the central bank doesn't aggressively respond to the inflation. Uh yep. That feels like that might be an issue here in the UK. So
2: right now, markets- government's not ba- backing down. Is there popular support? I mean, you're there. Is there?
0: No, they're. I think they're thirty points down relative to the Labor. their Tory party, the yeah. Conservative party. They're down thirty. I think last poll saw it this morning. Thirty percentage points. Thirty-three zero relative to the Labor party. So it's not popular. Uh, even though they're, you know, you're cutting taxes and you're cutting, you're capping the energy bill. People. Are very fearful of it because oh the other thing I didn't mention the obvious uh, is the pound the yeah. value of the pound is cratered right so the people investors say I'm not buying uh, you know British bonds and that's caused the pounds to, to go down and we got close to parity you know and that's you know I've been coming to London for 30 years and I had a I went to dinner the other night and got the bill and. It, and it just came out of my mouth. I, I said, "This is cheap." Can you imagine that? <laughs> this, this is this yeah. is cheap. Uh, you, no one ever says that about London, but it, uh-huh. you know, as it, it's just like amazingly cheap. You know, when you, as, uh compared to uh, the U.S. dollar now, uh, close to Perry. it's the strongest the dollar's ever been. I think ever relative. Ever. To London. Yeah. yeah. So that's what's scaring, spooking people, right? Because interestingly enough, in the United States, the the thing that plays the most central role in people's thought process around their finances and the economy is the cost of a gallon of gasoline. Right. You know what it is here in the UK?
1: The pound. It's,
0: it's the pound. It's mm-hmm. the pound. It's like a litmus test for how things are going. And right now, it's not going well whatsoever. So um,
2: so what's we'll your call? Plays out. Does she what's blink? That? What's your call? Is she going to blink or what's the... <laughs>
0: Uh, That's the forecast. I know, they, they said they're, the they're, the um, ch- the chancellor, of the exchequer, kind of the the, the person who kind of manages this policy, came out and said there, there's part two coming. So we'll see what part two <laughs> looks like. If they if they double down and you know there's more fiscal stimulus, I think run wow. from the hills. It's going to be a mess. Uh, if they kind of find a face-saving way to kind of do a a, a ui uh, or a semi ui or you know something like that i think maybe this works out a little bit better but uh we'll see uh either way i think the uk is uh the economy is going to suffer a pretty serious recession I you know i think mm-hmm. odds here are very high Yeah, you know, going in so we've point. got uh
2: we've got brinksmanship in uh uk and in russia now so that's
0: yeah i know makes I for know. a dark scenario right? yeah I'm not even going to ask for recession odds. We did that Mm-mm. in a whole podcast. We'll come back to that next week. Uh, but yeah, a lot to be worried about here for sure. Um, okay. Anything else before we call this a podcast? Um, I think that's it. A lot of ground. Okay. Okay. Very good. Um, anything, Chris, you want to bring up? No, I no? that's okay. good for now. <laughs> All right. We're going to call this a podcast. Uh, actually, I think believe it or not, the next one I do, I'm going to be in Singapore. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Singapore's going to be quite late at night when we do it. Another perspective. Because we get the employment report next week, right? on we Friday. Yeah. So we'll be doing that. I, I always look forward to that. We get our call, other colleagues uh, on as well. So with that, we're going to call this a podcast. Uh, thank you, everyone. Take care now.